Hello, welcome to BladesPod. It is Monday the 10th of December. My name is Ben. I'm joined once again by Jay, Blades Analytic. How are you this fine Monday, mate? I am very well. We won a game, so I'm very well. Yes, isn't the internet a much better place when United have actually won a game and everybody's happy instead of tearing their hair out about how we're a mediocre championship team and we're going nowhere and it's all just going to tail off like it did last season. I feel much better this Monday. Yeah, I love a Sheffield double, so yeah. Ah, I didn't even think... Of, well, no, hang on, they, they got a point, actually. Not to not to segue into um, Wednesday too much, but I was, I, was, I was starting to get worried for Joss there for a minute when Rotherham took the lead. I thought, oh see, no, this could be the end. This would be bad. Exactly. Now you're with me. You see, I don't, it's not a Sheffield double because they, you know, we know they didn't lose. It's a Sheffield double because Yoss is still there. Ah, large brain answer. I like that. <laughs> All right, let's not talk about Wednesday. They're boring and rubbish. And let's talk about a good team instead. So, United won 2 0 at Reading on Saturday evening. I, I think a fairly routine win is probably how you would look at it in retrospect. But. Actually, there's quite a lot to talk about from a, a tactical point of view and you know some of the things that we did uh, going into the game with the team and the approach and then how we changed it based on what was happening in the game. So I think there's quite a lot to talk about for a, yeah, what probably at the end of the season we'll look back on as one of the, the least memorable games of the season, I guess. But just quickly to tick off the events of the game. So um, uh, United had a couple of goals correctly disallowed in the first half. Uh, McGoldrick had a one on one where, unfortunately, he was not able to lift the ball over the goalkeeper from a, a good but I guess fairly difficult to finish chance. Um, Reading did pretty much nothing in the entire game, didn't have a single shot on target in the entire game. United eventually took the lead in the second half where uh, Basham crossed with a, it was a deflected cross. The ball managed to avoid brushing McGoldrick's shiny head and fell too sharp at the back post to tap it in. And then we made it 2-0 quite soon after with a Sam Baldock own goal from a corner. And yeah, pretty comfortable win. As I said, Reading did not threaten us whatsoever. Had more of the possession in the first half, but that was largely down to our uh, the way we were trying to approach the game, I think. Um, and yeah, eventually... Took 80 minutes or so, and I was starting to think, "Oh no, we're we're actually going to go two games without scoring here somehow." Despite you know creating plenty of big chances, which we definitely did, and we can talk about. Um, but yeah, finally, Sharp comes off the bench, and we get the goal. And yeah, in the end, uh, a very good welcome and comfortable, I suppose, three points if you could say that, having been nil nil after 80 minutes. Uh, anything, anything to add to that? Or do you think that's a, a pretty bang on summary? That's a pretty bang on summary, really, isn't it? Like you said, it's Thank a you very much. It's a very good analysis, much better than the match of the day, guys. Um, <laughs> it's a difficult one because I think you're right. It's pretty routine when you look back. We won the game. We should have won the game. We were expected to win the game, and we did. It was two 0 It was pretty comfortable. But there is there's the the obvious thing to talk about was the difference between the first half and second half, mm. uh, and probably why we did what we did in the first half because I don't think it was because Reading were very good. Um, they did push us back, but we allowed them to, and it was obviously a a, a tactical setup, if you will, mm. uh, to try and get uh, Washington away on the counter attack with McGoldrick in it. It didn't work, but mm. I think because we won the game, a it was acceptable, and b I think a lot of fans because we won the game were happy to see us try a variation, especially in an away game. You know, the, the, there's going to be a lot of period of games coming up where we might not have the ball, we might not have the energy to play that kind of high intensity style where we're in the opposition's half a lot we might just need to sit in and we might need to scrap for points so knowing that you can play the counter-attack would be worthwhile we did it at Brentford well 
a little bit less defensive perhaps at Brentford and it didn't quite work in the first half because we just didn't get hold of the ball. Mm. Um, I mean, there was one or two amazing passes from Norwood, especially the one over the top to McGoldrick for his mm. little chip chance that he fluffed. But to be honest, as the half wore on, we kind of just resort to long ball, I thought. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a pretty dull first half and not, I mean, apart from the disallowed goals, which, as I say, were correctly offside. Yeah, not a lot happened, I suppose. I mean, for anyone who uh, isn't aware, we basically went with the same the same team that we played against uh, Brentford away a couple of weeks ago. So Washington in for Sharp up front uh, and Lundstrom came in for Duffy as well. And yeah, pl- tried to play much more on the counter-attack, a lot more sort of balls into the channels for Washington's chase. And yeah, I thought um, I thought individually Washington, you know, did basically what was asked of him. And we did create that one big chance on the on the counter with the ball that you mentioned through to McGoldrick as well. But yeah, we, we essentially were allowing Reading to come on to us um, and yeah, they, so that we could kind of exploit the space that they left, but they didn't really come on to us very strongly. <laughs> if you like. And uh, yeah, I mean, you have to say uh, credit to the team and the manager for changing it at halftime and recognising that just wasn't working. Um, And and almost immediately with the halftime change, so we brought on Duffy for Lundstrom. Uh, Duffy obviously played much further forward. Um, And yeah, it was was a completely different game, second half. I mean, it, it was almost the archetypal game of two halves if well I suppose it would be if Reading had actually had a a good first half but yeah the second half stats I mean are just just ridiculous to be honest so yeah second half United 10 shots to one four on target three big chances to zero uh completed slightly more passes but I know I thought this was very striking so in the second half 172 passes completed 87 of which so more than half were in the attacking third so yeah. basically, we just camped in Reading's half for the the whole of the second period. Um, also took 21 crosses in that second half as well, which was only seven less than we did in the whole of the Leeds game. So, yeah, we we saw it. We, we tried something that worked against Brentford, saw it wasn't working, changed it pretty quickly, gave ourselves 45 minutes and, uh, yeah, got, got just rewards, I guess. So, yeah, that was that was good to see. I suppose you could say, like, well... You know why did we not start that way? You know why why did we show Reading too much respect here or something? Or was it a case of trying to, I don't know, preserve legs? I suppose of Duffy and Sharp, but I'm not really sure yeah. what the answer is there. No, I think that was it. Mm. I think you, you look at Reading; they're a team without a lot of quality at the minute, um, but they've just sat their manager, so they were they did work work hard throughout the whole game, and they were always going to run hard and work hard. Mm. And because of that, I, I think you know it it, it looked a wilder. Look, we've just had a run of games, quite high intensity. We've got West Brom on Friday. Why wouldn't you try and preserve Sharp and Duffy if you can get away with not playing them? Mm. And, and, and we've already spoke about this on the pod. It's going to be something we see throughout the season, especially with Duffy. We need to wrap him in cotton wool at certain times of the season if we're going to get Mark Duffy's quality over enough games that gets us in and around top six. Mm. Uh, and Reading away for me is a game where, despite, you know, you can say, yes, look what Duffy did when he come on. If Duffy plays from the start, we might never need that. But then... We won anyway, so it doesn't matter. You know, it was enough for 45 minutes. But the second thing of that is, you know, we did it away at Brentford. It was fine. Yeah. And it looked like Reading were going to do nothing but just run. They were, they were just going to run us. You know, they got wingers. They got pretty quick wingers. They've got a mobile midfield without much quality, but it's very mobile. Okay, let, let's match them up. Lundstrom will work hard. He'll get tack stuck in. You know, play the flat free. The, the only problem in the first half was the fact that we played so deep and the wing backs ended up in a back five for about yeah. 20. And, and because of that reason... 
there was no one in the middle who could hold the ball and allow the wing-backs to, to press up to actually support the attackers. So we ended up just playing long and over the top and it eventually stopped being passes and it was more just playing it into areas. Mm. Uh, I felt sorry for Washington in that regard, to be honest, because it, that's not what we need to give Washington. We need to give him the type of passes that Norwood gave to McGoldrick and that Fleck was searching for away at Brentford. He wants actual passes, not clearances. But it worked. I mean, the one interesting thing about that pass stat there with the, the final third one was Norwood. Mm. Um, so in the second half, in the first half, Norwood didn't make one deep completion. So he didn't make one pass within 30 metres of the opposition goal. Okay. Okay. In the second half, he made four, which was a game high for anyone. Oh, right. Okay. So he was able to move further up as well then. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, this is where stats do help because it explains, tells a bit of the story. You know, anyone can watch the game and understand that, but he actually made more deep completions than he's made in any other game this season. And he ended up playing in the final third. Literally, Norwood was in the final third and we won the ball back in Reading's half a hell of a lot. Mm. So you, you'd see, if you watch the highlights back, you'll see their keeper rolling it out or a lot of clearances. And United are on it immediately. Whereas in the first half, we were kind of 10 yards further back and that allowed Reading to pick up second balls and things. But basically, Duffy had come on and rather than just picking up his standard pockets, he'd almost got him played up front. We almost had three up front and Duffy was just allowed to roam wherever he wanted. Yeah. And that really pushed the Reading centre-backs around and they just didn't have a clue how to pick him up. And Norwood then just went and played further up. And you see that on the a couple of the passes that he plays in behind the centre-halves and things. It's really interesting that because one thing a lot of fans have been asking us about on Twitter is, you know, do we see Norwood as an option further forward? Mm. The answer is no, not in the place of a Duffy or someone like that, but he's very effective further forward, that's for sure. Yeah, it's funny actually. I, <laughs> certainly in the first half, I didn't think Norwood was having a very good game. There was, no. was a lot of like just very loose passes. I mean, obviously there's that great through ball that we talked about, but you know there was somewhere it was almost just playing it blind, like straight into a defender. There was one where I think he was trying to pass it back to Henderson, and he essentially hit it straight into the back of a Reading striker. Like he almost played it blind, and if it had you know ricocheted in a different direction, it'd have been through on goal. Fortunately, we managed to managed to mop it up, but. You know, as you say, he did a lot of very good things as well. And I think it's um, Derek French, actually, I saw tweet this. It's just um, the fact is Norwood just gets so much of the ball that he's going to make some mistakes sometimes. You know, it's just a sheer volume of usage from him, I guess. And also, you know, we, we ask him to play difficult passes, you know, to play those yeah. like 50-yard crossfield balls or, you know, through the lines of midfield and defence with a single ball. And, yeah, some of them aren't going to work. Some of them are just going to be mishit and just go straight to a defender or something. But And, yeah, I think it's important as fans to kind of remember, like, OK, he may do that three or four times a game, but he also will do some fantastic things during that period. And, you know, if he is just playing simple balls, then he's just Dean Hammond, basically. You know, it's just completely ineffective, not useful to us. So, yeah, it was, yeah. It was funny. Yeah, Watching that first half, I was like, no, I mean, he's shocker. What's going on? He's, he's got the wrong boots on or something. And then, yeah, when you view the whole the whole body of work across the 90 minutes, it's like, actually, he's, he's had a pretty bloody good game. And as you say, been been very impactful on it as well. It's very true. I saw that, Fred, actually. And it was because I was interested in that because I'm interested in fans' opinion on Norwood. Like, 90% of us seem to love him, but there's this 10% that kind of highlight this inconsistency. And I, I do, okay, I do get that. And I think when Norwood has a bad game or plays a bad pass, it's a really bad one. You know, yeah. it's, a, like, say, it's not a five-yard one from the halfway line that doesn't lead to much, but it just gives it away. It's him trying a 30-yard ball, slicing it with the outside of his boot, and it goes really wrong. And I think sometimes we can label him with arrogance for that, you know, for trying that. But that's him. That's his game. Mm. Um, 
and we have to accept that we're going to get 30-yard ones in the top corner, 30-yard passes that no one else on the pitch can play, and we're also going to get 10-yard ones that are going astray and potentially setting the opposition up on a counter. It is what it is. He wouldn't be coming to Sheffield United for two million quid if he didn't do that. No, it, and... Um, you know, go on, sorry. Yeah, I was just, it's the same as the McGoldrick point, isn't it? These... These are not complete players, but the, no one needs to forget that Oli Norwood has been pretty vital in two promotion campaigns in the last two years. Mm. He's an extremely good player, probably one of the best in the league. Um, you know, and I, I think when we have, he has a bad game, it will be bad, but we just need to remember the good ones as well. And like you said, he can do that as well. He can quite easily turn his game around. I know he didn't against Birmingham when he had a shocker, but... You know, he was pretty redundant in the first half, apart from one or two moments. And then he, he plays a bit higher up in the second half. It also helps when we have more ball as well. Mm, definitely. You know, in the first half, we didn't have the possession and Norwood needs the ball. He's one of those players. He's clearly a touch player. If he's got the ball a lot, he kind of finds his range better. So as soon as we got the ball and moved up and I gave him targets to hit in variety, he was so much better. Yeah, I think the other thing to remember is, because one of the things we sort of say, I guess we've saying probably over the last 18 months or so is, you know, United just lacking that that little bit of flair, that that one player that can kind of, you know, unlock a defence or, you know, just score a goal out of nothing. But, I mean, that's that's kind of what Norwood is, isn't it? You know, or what we're talking about yeah. here is that quality of, like, he has the ability to do something that very few other players in the league can do. And sometimes it's going to go wrong. You know, if we signed this mythical striker who can beat a man from, you know, beat two men outside the box and get a shot into the top corner from 20 yards, like five out of six times he'll probably do that and it'll end up in the stand but you know one out of six it'll go in the goal and you know you have to kind of remember the yeah remember that he has the ability to do something great and occasionally it's just not going to work and yeah I, I, I don't know I'm I'm pretty comfortable with that to be honest you know just that kind of that kind of success oh, yeah. rate over time but yeah I, I appreciate that it, it's kind of easy to sometimes be like oh he's you know just keeps kicking it straight to the opposition and then you forget the good things he does as well which yeah I, I imagine some fans do but I'm pretty comfortable with how he's playing at the moment, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you made a great point, actually, that. It's, um, you know, we, we could have as many steady eddies as we want, but it, it wasn't what's the steady eddies are not what Sheffield United need at the minute. No. We've got some very good, consistent players who do good things. What we need is players who can do things extraordinarily well, and he does that. And it says something that whenever an opposition fan seems to ask, you see them on the kind of the, the Not the Top 20 podcast, you know, you kind of see these scouting reports fans around the league do. Whenever anyone plays Sheffield United, the opposition fan does that. They always mention Norwood. Yeah, he is incredible. He is he's that good. So, and, and I think we discussed it yesterday. Let's not forget we only signed him on loan in the summer. We're getting him on permanent in January, so it's already a seven out of ten window. If nothing else. <laughs> yeah, credit Berkshire Blade for pointing that one out. That was very Correct. good. This was uh, this was a, a bad Saturday for bad omens. By the way, you know we talked about this before the game, but. We were on Sky. We were playing a team that had just sacked their manager. Mark McNulty <laughs> was starting up front for Reading. All those bad omens got torpedoed. Although, actually, I guess you could say from a Reading point of view, Billy Sharp, obviously a ex-Reading player, as his need is uh, Ollie Norwood. So maybe Correct. our bad omens outweighed their bad omens? I don't know. I think, I, 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 I think probably... I just, go on. Go on, I just think we're a better football team. Yeah, that's essentially what I was going to say. Yeah. I just interest a final on Norwood as well. I know we always gas about Norwood, but... He made a game-high seven interceptions. Mm. And I thought that got me thinking. I was like, so I keep seeing Norwood doing like tackles and interceptions. We talk about the Villa example where he made that great tackle that you, mm. you know, you love that goal. So I had a look at the stats on who scored. Kind of just, just defensive midfielders or centre midfielders. So that, that kind of deep lion role that Norwood plays. Per 90, he's actually third in the league for interceptions. 
pretty good. So we're talking about a pass master who can play, you know, great passes. He can set chances up, great set piece taker, and he's also pretty good defensively. So, yeah, not bad for two mil. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, do you know we're now the second best away team in the league, joint with Norwich on nineteen away points? I do. Which is unbelievable because people seem to think we can't play away from home. Yeah, I know. Somebody also, uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody also tweeted me saying that um, another bad omen we overcame this weekend was that that pesky fluorescent away kit. But I think we've worn it in every away game. So it's <laughs> actually worn it in all our wins as well as all our defeats. But yeah, so we have 19 away points, which is joint with Norwich and second most in the league. Uh, a couple of teams around us, Norwich, Leeds and Borough, have played one game fewer, admittedly. But yeah, we won more away games than any other team in the league so far, um, which is pretty big because we were uh, average at best, I think, away from home last season. I think we were like 12th or 14th at best yeah. away team. So this, yeah. is, this is quite an uptick. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to expand further on that. Do you know what's... I mean, this might explain that away record, but at the same time, it's also interesting. So, of the current bottom six, so from 19th down, which is Hull, Wotherham, Millwall, Reading, Bolton and Ipswich, we've only played one of those at home. Oh, okay. So, we've actually played Rotherham away, drew 2-2, obviously Millwall away, 1-3-2, Reading away, 1-2-0, Bolton away, 3-0, and Ipswich, we haven't played yet. We play them, what, 12 days' time. Yeah. So, uh, and Brentford, just above that, we won 3-2. So, Okay, yeah, that might go some way to explaining that away record. But what it also means is we've, always, we've also got all them games to play at home. Mm-hmm. And we've actually played, of the current top eight, we have played one, two, three games away. And we're obviously one of the top eight. Yeah. So, And we haven't won one of those games yet. But again, that shows that at the current top eight, we've got most of the games at home as well as most of the games at the bottom. Mm. So, if, you know, if you look at the story of the season so far, there's some good luck stories there. Um, and it also means that we've got three of the next four at home, doesn't it? So, yeah. Well, we talked last time. We talked about how we're, uh, you know, flat track bullies, and it's time to get bullying, and that that kind of illustrates that, doesn't it? We just, I mean, I, I think I said this all all season, really. We just brushed aside teams lower down yeah. the league than us. I mean, I'm just looking now. Rotherham obviously got a point from us. Wednesday got a point from us, but then, yeah, you have to go up to thirteenth before there's another team that had taken any points off us, and that's Bristol City. So, yeah, teams that are down that end of the table, we tend to deal with very handily, which, you know, speaks to, uh, you know, our quality, I think. You know, the fact we're able to just keep creating chances and eventually stick them away. Couldn't can, can we just talk about McGoldrick's goal that didn't count? Because what a finish yes. it was. If anyone didn't see this, it was a low cross from the right and McGoldrick sort of did a, a, a perfectly timed drag back, back heel type thing from about six, seven yards out. Flew into the bottom corner. Unfortunately, he was slightly offside. But I just thought that's that's just typical, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we've been crying out for him to hit the back of the net, and probably his his hardest finish it goes in. But unfortunately, he's offside. It's pretty much yeah. My my uh, I was watching the game with my granddad, and uh, he is he is a proper what okay archetypal Sheffield United fan who. Loves everything good that David McGoldrick does, but hates everything bad that he does. Yeah. And his his view after the game was, well, can't we hypnotise him to make him think that he's offside every time? <laughs> because if he finishes like that when he's offside, he needs to do that every time. But no, it was, he's just a class of the man, isn't he? I know he fluffed these lines on a couple again, but again, I thought he was decent. It, yeah. It'll come. I'm going to say it, it'll come. It's going to come. If we carry on creating. The chip one was a bit of a difficult one, because I think he was in two minds, wasn't he? Whether to hit mm. it or chip it. He did neither. 
It was a little but, bit caught under his feet, just the, the kind of roll of the ball. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. And then, as you said, you know, the, almost the Billy chance was almost as bad a miss from a goal because it was a good finish and Bill to be there because he just missed his shiny head. But great, <laughs> great dummy in the end. But I was really, um, I was, I was good. Have been really pleased. I was really unhappy, really, that the he was rightly offside, obviously. But I was unhappy for Washington because that was a great little position he took up on his offside. Mm. You know, that, that leads us nicely into, you know, something like you went which is set pieces and just like how how much we have clearly studied Reading to know to whip in balls on top of their keeper. That that was a clear plan. We've not done that all year. Yeah, and also uh, a change of corner taker as well. Fleck, um, I, I don't know if he took them all, but he certainly took the majority, including the one that led to the own goal. And there were a few moments kind of before that as well that, you know, looked like, there were going to be opportunities as well. I mean, we talked about the disallowed goal as well. So, yeah, that was, it was good to see, I think. You know, obviously recognising, yeah, a weakness there and perhaps a possible strength of our own, I suppose, and, and took full yeah. advantage of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're right. We, we did. We changed up the corner take. Because I, I mean, I, I might be wrong because I didn't know it down. It was just something I saw at the eyes at the time. But I thought we we basically went for in-swinging corners. So Norwood was yeah. taking them in-swinging and Fleck was taking them in-swinging. And the reason for that was we literally grouped everyone around the keeper. Mm. Um, we've clearly studied video with their keeper who isn't, A, he's not the most, you know, he's not played a lot of games, he's not got a lot of experience, not got a lot of confidence at the minute in a shot team and we decided to put the ball on top of him and a very poor defence and it worked. Mm. Quite frankly, you know, we we did look threatening from them. I think it was Andy Hinchcliffe was on comms on Sky, wasn't he? Uh, I think it was Higginbotham actually. Higginbotham. That was it, it was Higginbottom. Yeah, yeah Higginbottom. He was actually quite good and he was, he was saying all game, you know, I think United are going to score from a set piece. They look threatening. Mm. And then, all right, we, we didn't score, but they did. And it, it just came from basically a, a real assert amount of pressure under their own crossbar. And, and they were great balls in because it's quite hard to hit that area. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I know. have to say, it was, um, the consistency of delivery from Fleck there was really good. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm just trying to pull it up now on my phone, but I think most of them kind of hit the same kind of... Yeah, I'm just looking now. The grouping of his corners from that wing, so this is Fleck, had six of them, and they're all... They essentially all landed within like a, a four-yard space on the edge of the six-yard box, central. Yeah. And yeah, we three out of six of them, we managed to get our head on. And I, well, I guess one of them was uh, uh, George's brother heading it into our own uh, their own net for us, which is very generous of him. Was indeed. <laughs> Just while we're on George as well, I thought I thought Bulldog was very good. Okay, I, I don't know. I thought... I, I, I thought he was okay, but go on, convince me. More, more second half than first half. I don't think first half any of us were very good. Um, mm. You know, that's pretty obvious to say. But I, I thought second half he was, without being exceptional or without doing anything great, he just he just looked thre- threatening down the right. He got around their fullback a few times. Um, and, and to be honest with you, that was the first time in a while our right-hand side has looked as attacking, if not more, than our left. Mm. Um it was it was Stevens was still good, but it, it was more one of Ender's quiet games recently. We actually moved got more chances down the right hand side than we did the left, and a lot of that was when Duffy came on. Baldock and Basham were just free to go, um, you know. And I, th- I think Baldock's runs around the fullback with his pace did disconcert them a little bit because it allowed in and that opened up a bit of space for Basham as well. I, yeah. I just thought it was decent. I mean, two key passes, you know, only one less than Fleck in the game for Baldock. It, it was good. It, it yeah. was it was decent. Yeah, I'm just looking at that now. Yeah, got cross crossed from generally good positions as well, and yeah, yeah, decent delivery. I mean, I think there was one sort of went all the way across, which nobody managed to get get a touch on. But it was probably the best cross of the game from him, actually. It was. Yeah, that was a great cross, and then he put the ball in as well for um, McGoldrick's header. 
Yeah. Well, that, that, that kind of softer header, that, you know, oh, it was, was was a difficult header to score from there. But yeah, it was it was a good cross in the box. It was nice to see, actually, because obviously our, our gripe about George's quality and he actually put in a lot of quality. Mm. Well, um, I think one of the know, other things we talk about with probably more in favour of Freeman than negative of Bulldog, but, you know, we talk about Freeman and the, the relationship he has with Basham and how those two generally through the season have kind of dovetailed very well and you know that leads to our right hand side being a very strong attacking outlet and yeah this was probably the first time with Bulldog in the team that we've kind of seen that because Basham obviously created the first goal with a, a run around the outside and a I know it took a deflection but you know still a, a good cross in that led to the goal but yeah I mean I think Basham I know we talk about him quite a lot because we both think he's brilliant but I think it's probably uh, my man of the match the last two games, to be honest. I mean, which is a, yeah. a great effort when you consider everything else that's kind of going on. And for, yeah, for a for a central defender to do that in a game where we basically were not threatened at all, you know, for his main value to come on the attack is is just classic Basham, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I thought we we actually did defend pretty well. I think we defended very well. I mean, you could say, well, if they're starting Mark McNulty up front against three central defenders, then. You know, yeah, it, it was it was very unlikely to go well for them. I, I mean, I think McNulty is fine in League One. You know, having obviously watched him for United, he, I always thought he was a good finisher. Like if you could create chances for him, you generally stuck them away. But yeah, it, it contributes so little else, and I'm I'm really surprised he's playing the Championship. I'm sure League One and League Two is his level. So, yeah, I suppose you could say, well, not the hardest of games for our defenders, but still dealt with, you know, crosses and, you know, attempted through balls and stuff like that really, really well. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I'm just looking at some of the individual defensive numbers. I think Egan won 11 out of 12 defensive duels. So that's mm. kind of basically any time a ball comes into the box or played up with Egan and his man, just dominant from Egan again. And the more I watch him play, the more I like him. Um, you know, he really is a proper dominant force at centre half. Jack was good, and again, Basham as well. Just, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say putting up good numbers because it's such an American term, but Bash just—he's mm. very good defensively. Not much gets by him. He gets stuck in, wins the ball, and then when he goes forward, he's quality as well. So I think you're right. He probably is our best player at the minute on form wise. But yeah, Egan is—is is, Egan is becoming more and more impressive for me as the weeks go by. Um, I know there was that back pass against Leeds, but he played well in that Leeds game. Yeah, uh, predominantly, it, he he does look a class above, um, and I think there's one theory out there that maybe I, I, you can't say it wouldn't be good, but you know, there's there's always one criticism of Wilder is if he had money, would he sign the right players? Well, for four million quid, John Egan looks a snip. Yeah, well, he you know at the time we thought we were getting a a, a very good championship level defender, and yeah, despite a slightly rocky start although not totally sure you can pin that on him I guess um he's just been excellent I mean I thought it was very noticeable in this game obviously we were actually no I'm not not sure what the explanation is here but yeah majority of his passes were forward Egan uh, and there were some brilliant ones like you know there's that one in the first I think the commentators called it out as well where essentially from about five yards outside our penalty area he just sort of sprayed this 40 yard pass straight to Basham who was you know like halfway inside Reading's half already um yeah. but yeah just looking at his uh his passing now so yeah only only five of his passes Egan out of 28 were not forward so yeah he, he was getting us on the front foot very quickly and relatively easily as well 
Um, yeah, 75% pass completion rate, which is it's not ideal, I guess, for a centre-half, but that kind of speaks to the fact he was trying to get the ball moving forward, not not playing a safe pass, which I think out of necessity sometimes he kind of had to do against Leeds because they were putting so much pressure on our midfield and essentially allowing him to have the ball to an extent. So, yeah, we, you know, I, I think he's a really good defender, but, you know, this idea that he's just sort of uh, the second coming of Chris Morgan is... Uh, a bit of a slight on him. I think he's a, a much better footballer than Morgan ever was, even if he's not quite the level of uh, do-or-die defender that Chris it, was and probably yeah. still is, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Love Morgs. Absolute legend. But no, it's uh, Egan's different. He's got that warrior side to him. You know, you can see him running around with a blooded headband sticking his head on things still. He's definitely got that in him. But mm. he's also got a, you know, a 40, 50-yard diagonal to the opposite wing on someone's chest. <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he is an exceptionally good player, and he, he's getting better and better. And I, I stand by what I said earlier on. Is he, I think even though Jack has been brilliant the last two years, him and Egan look better. You know, Egan's making Jack look better every game as well mm. as a defender. Um, I just think defensively we've been we've looked good this season. You know, we yeah. it's weird because we do still, you know, obviously we didn't in the last game, but we do still concede goals, and it, it feels like we don't get uh, as many clean sheets as we. Should I guess, but yeah, it's I don't know. It it just feels like it. It sort of rarely feels like we're under siege or anything like that. We seem to defend well as a team. You know, you have the odd period, but you look at the Leeds game. I mean, you know, there's no way we should have. <laughs> that should have been a clean sheet, shouldn't it? Really, you know, we shouldn't have conceded yeah. in that game. Actually, you know, I'm just looking at the table now. We've conceded, so we've conceded 24 goals in 21 games. Uh, Norwich also 24, Leeds 18, Derby 24, West Brom 30, Middlesbrough are just ridiculous, 14. So, yeah, this, this not it's not like we're terrible at the back. If anything, we're basically the same as everybody else apart from uh, Borough, who don't score many goals either. So, yeah. Uh, that's it. You've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. We're not at all. We are pretty much the same as all the other front runners. The, the biggest thing for us is... We concede lots of ones and twos. Mm. So you know, I, I can't speak for all of the top six, but West Brom got a four, you know, a four-one from somewhere. Leeds got a four-one from somewhere. I know they've also scored that many as well, but you know, they, they've had the odd battering and the odd two or three, whereas we, we just consistently conceding ones and twos. And I think that's yeah. everyone's gripe. You know, everyone's caught up on keeping the zeros, which we did at the weekend, and that's good to see. And it's uh, it's a stepping stone, isn't it, for the game on Friday? Which, yeah. If we keep a zero in that game, we will have done well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just on clean sheets, actually. I've just found this on um, soccerstats.com. So that was our sixth clean sheet of the season, which puts us bang in the middle, basically. Uh, I can't remember how many we had last season, but it was nowhere near as many as I wanted us to have. Um, But yeah, Yeah. so we've had six. Borough, 11 clean sheets. But uh, again, they're just freak defensively. So that's... That's fifty-two percent of their games they've kept a clean sheet. That's ridiculous. And they're also um, boring. It is very boring. I mean, at the start of the season, I remember distinctly us saying, "Just watch Borough one nil their way to the Premier League." And yeah, even though they've, <laughs> they've dropped below us at the moment, but you know, I still won't put it past them actually doing that. But yeah, so we've had six, and then if you go down the table from Borough, Leeds have had nine, Forest nine, Stoke eight, Swansea eight. So you know, we're Whilst we are kind of middle of the table, what's that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So we're eleventh in terms of total clean sheets, but there's not much difference between us and most of the other best teams, to no. be honest. But yeah, let's let's talk West Brom then. So I've been looking forward to this game for uh, a good few weeks because 
uh, it should be extremely good, I think. Um, yeah, West Brom are the leading scorers in the league. Uh, I looked these stats up before we spoke, actually. So, uh, yeah, fifth in the league for shots per game, seventh in shots on target, and first in shots inside the six-yard box with us in second. Um, however, I did notice, and I thought this was quite remarkable, they are 22nd in terms of shots allowed per game. So there's only yeah. two teams that allow more shots against them uh, than than they do, and they are Reading and Wednesday, who we've spoken about uh, in the past as having abysmal defences that give up a lot of chances. And I guess that's why they're not running away with the league, which you kind of expect that they would be. I mean, you look at the quality of attackers they have. I mean, Dwight Gale, Rodriguez, uh, Matty Phillips... I've probably forgotten about three fantastic players there as well. It's, you, you've not you've not mentioned the main one for me, Harvey Barnes. Harvey Barnes, of course, yeah. I mean, it's it's like a it's a fantastic array of attacking talent. I mean, you know, I think any of those would walk into our squad at least. Um, yeah, possibly even the first team. But yeah, at the same time, you know, the results are a, a little bit mixed. I mean, they they hammered Leeds as you mentioned four one. Uh, they lost to Hull, weirdly. They narrowly beat Ipswich away, beat Swansea away 2-1. Drew with Brentford. This is all recent, by the way. Uh, they were very fortunate, I gather, to draw with Villa on uh, on Friday yeah. night. With a, I, I didn't actually see the game, but heard it was a pretty blatant it. handball. Yeah, I watched it. It was a, it was 100% handball. It was a really good game, actually. Mm. It was handball. Villa definitely had more chances. I know everyone... It was really interesting, actually. I was so dying to tweet things about it because it was everyone goes on about us needing a clinical striker like Tammy Abraham. Mm. And he is brilliant, don't get me wrong. He is a cheat code for this league. But he probably missed, I would say, at least three nailed-on sitters. Really? Yeah, he played really well, hold-up play. But one of them was literally rolled across the box to him in the six-yard box and he fell on top of the ball. Mm. No, no defender around him. Literally just tap it in and it's a goal and he fell on top of the ball because he's left foot all uncoordinated but you know listen he's brilliant he'll probably finish top scorer in the season I'm not saying he's not a good player it's just interesting you know this perception that good strikers don't miss big chances in reality yeah. good strikers miss most of the big chances because they get most of them but yeah they, they were it was a good game Villa were really good and you know Villa are really on fire at the minute but West Brom looked open at the back but decent going forward mm. um, I mean I've just a quick had a look at my kind of database so Despite the fact that they do allow a lot of shots, they're actually about 10th for expected goals against. Right. And they've actually conceded two more than they should have, technically. All right, that's not, you know, we don't take that as biblical. But what that says to me is, yeah, they allow a lot of shots, but not necessarily from amazing areas. Mm. Um, You know, which which is fine. A lot of teams in this league, we know a lot of teams in this league do shoot on site. They have shoot on site policies and that is just the way it is. But yeah, I think they can be got at just on Friday's basic game alone, you know, Villa created a lot of chances getting him down the sides as well. They were getting a lot down the, the, the right-hand side of West Brom. Mm. Um, you know, so what one thing that registered for me, if I was, I'm not doing it obviously, but if I was doing an opposition scouting thing would be our main strength is our w- wide play and our width that we create and West Brom's weakness looked like defending wide play. Mm. You know, so that, that, that was quite interesting. Um, but they look so good going forward and, it's going to be a test defensively for us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dwight Gale is just a, sort of one of those players that kind of falls just in between Championship and Premier League, I think. But as yeah. a Championship player, he is very, very good. I mean, it's just a... I mean, they essentially swapped uh, Rondon for him, didn't they? And might have yeah. got some money for it, I think. And that that is 
a fantastic bit of business by um, by them. Uh, Harvey, I mean, Harvey Barnes, they're talking about he's, he's playing so well that Leicester might well recall him in January, which would be good for us. <laughs> Go straight into their team and straight out of this one. I would hope so. Harvey Barnes, in my opinion, is very close to being England ready. Uh, le- leads the league in expected assists. He's also like in the top 20 for expected goals. There's no one who's got a better combined ratio than him. Mm. He is an astonishingly good technical player on the ball. Plays off the left wing, but drifts into number 10 positions. And he's the perfect foil for what they've got up front. They've got a lot of runners up front with Gale, um, with Rodriguez. They've got a lot of quality and he's just someone who can put the ball in the box on a sixpence. He's a really good player. Really good player. So I'm not, we're not going to rave about other players too long, but... I'm really excited. It's going to be an interesting game. We broke the Sky Curse. We've got three of the next four at home. It's a Friday night. You know, it's a chance to get a jump, isn't it, on the top two? Um, That's a good way to look at it, I guess. If we win, we can get within, you know, close a bit of distance, cement our place in that top six and break this curse of not beating top six teams, I guess. Yeah, apart from Norwich. Yeah, who are top of the league on flight. And and Villa in uh, like probably one week's time when uh, they get into the top six. Yeah, probably. Do, do you know just quickly on on Norwich? Actually, do you buy Norwich? Do you think this is? Do you think they're going up automatically? They are one point clear of Leeds, six points clear of us at the moment, and I think they've won six of their last seven with one of them a draw. Yeah, just looking at the form table. So yeah, soccer stats form table is six played, five won, drawn one, mm. and that was the Holloway game, which I've got a friend at work who's a massive Norwich fan who went to, and he said neither side looked like they could be bothered to turn up that night. Hmm. Um, I don't know is the honest answer. It, I keep seeing their squad and on paper, it doesn't look great. Then I'll see the stats and every single one of their forward players is insanely good. Mm. Um, they're just about all of them outperforming their expected goals, which you could say means they're going to regress, but it might just mean they're good at finishing. Mm-hmm. They create a bunch of open play chances. Um, they're really good. And they consistently, whenever they get pegged back, seem to win games. I mean, I think the stat was if... The points table was based on half-time scores. Norwich would be 22nd. Right. Um, they've also, I can't remember what the other one was as well, but it, it's just something astonishing. The, the test for them is going to be over the next 10 games. So Norwich over the next 10 games play basically seven of the top 10. Well, this is it. This is why I'm not quite, I, I mean, uh, yeah, looking at the underlying numbers, they they do, they do are one of the better teams in the league. There's no messing about there. But yeah, I, I don't, I'm not buying them for promotion just yet. They're, I think six of those seven games have come against, uh, let's see, Wednesday 17th, Brentford 18th, Hull 19th, Rotherham 20th, Millwall 21st, Bolton 23rd, and then Swansea in 12th. So that's a pretty nice run of fixtures if you're going to go on a win streak. I mean, they still need beating, of course. And I mean, they have made hard work of some of those games. I think the Millwall game, I think they were losing going into injury time and winning. Bolton obviously pegged them back at the weekend. They got another injury time winner. I mean, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, no. diminishing the validity of uh, late winners. You know, you, you play till the final whistle, don't you? Um, no, it's fair. I mean, the, yeah, uh, this is the thing. You know, they scored 38 goals, but their XG is 34 and a half. Mm. So sod the half because you know some people don't like that. But <laughs> basically, they're, they're outperforming their XG by a decent amount at this stage of the season. So. Again, it points to some. Does it? You know, maybe some form of regression. Maybe I don't, the stat that the, the the EFL show on Questport was quite telling, which was um, I think out of the last ten years, the team who have been top after twenty one games have been promoted seven or eight times. Mm. So I mean, that's where we're at now. So were that, that we quite... the one out of eight? 
probably. <laughs> I, th- I think we would start uh, started our slide last season. Yeah, I think point. we would. Yeah, yeah, it's probably something like that. But it's, it's quite interesting that, you know, it didn't say anything about point spread or anything like that. It's obviously very different. I don't know. At, at the minute, I think they're the real deal is what, because I, I think they're, they're winning games when they're not great and they've got goals from everywhere. Mm. But we'll see because we beat them. Um, you know, and it, it's not a different side to that. They're playing better, but it's not a different side. Mm. They are, they do a little beatable. I just wonder if they lose a couple of games, will they fall off the wagon? You know, every, everyone in the top six, including us, has gone through a a sticky to roughish patch. Mm. Um, Norwich had theirs at the start of the season. Since then, they've won just literally one game after game, mm. and they haven't had that dip again. You know, Middlesbrough having it now. West Brom did only won two in eight. We only won two in six. You know, Leeds had a little dip. Everyone's had a dip and come back. And I just wonder if they've got that character to come back. But we'll see. It's interesting, actually, isn't it? Looking at the top six. Because it, lo- yeah. it looks like there's a gap appearing at the minute. As in between the top six and others? Or do you mean from uh, the promotion places down? Yeah, prom- so promotion places down. Yeah. There's that five-point gap now, which doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not in this league. But obviously, look at Norwich. They're, they're winning. I mean, their form's outstanding. You know, and they're playing really well and scoring lots of goals. Leeds, who I think everyone probably agrees, are going to be there or thereabouts come May, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I think we all agree with that with Leeds. There's this whole Bielsa could fall off the wagon thing, but I highly doubt it. And they'll probably strengthen in January. Yeah. And then, you know, you go down towards and all the way down to probably Stoke in temp, really. That's not yeah. over, is it? Watch out for Villa and Stoke. Definitely. Villa, definitely Villa. To, yeah. I'm still, I'm still angry that Villa have so many good players. I mean, they probably have like, what, three <laughs> of the six or seven best players in the, in the whole division playing for them. Easily. It's like, what was Steve Bruce doing? He should never be allowed to manage again. That was just like gross negligence on his part that they weren't at least in the top six. I can't wait till he turns up at the other side of the city now in about a week's time after you just <laughs> no, said that. Don't say that. We want Joss to keep going. Joss is doing a great job. I don't know. 17th in the league. That is a great job. I don't know. If you give me the option of Joss or Bruce, I'm not really bothered either way. I don't really rate either. So. Well, no, there is that, I suppose. Um do you, have you got time for just a? Uh, I think because we can do not going to do player ratings, but I think it's it'd be good to just quickly say a few words about a couple of individuals from the Reading game. Because uh, we haven't spoken about Billy Sharp here. We barely mentioned his name, in fact. And that, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think I actually we could probably talk about both of these together. But you know, Duffy and Sharp came on in the second half, and I think it was just like the the perfect distillation of what those two players do in those two yep. cameos. Sharp comes on. He, I don't want to say missed a chance, but it was a it was a very good chance from a header that uh, ended up in the uh, in the side netting rather than back of the net. And then obviously yeah. scored uh, scored the obligatory tap in from one yard out as he does. Um, and yeah, Duffy. I mean, you know th- that role he played in the first goal was just fantastic. You know, he kind of uh, sent the defender into the stand essentially, dribbled into the box. It's a great. It's such a subtle bit of skill, but he was kind of, I don't really know how to describe it, but essentially he was waiting for Basham to make the overlap. And as he was doing so, he kind of went, he made a kind of forward move and stopped the ball dead for like a yeah. fraction of a second and then played it with his uh, his other foot into Basham. And, you know, that, that kind of stopping the ball just basically put the defenders on the heels, allowed Basham to get into that space and then he crosses and we score. And yeah, I just, uh, it was just a perfect example of what those two can do. You know, in in twenty minutes or in a moment, essentially. Yeah, hundred um, percent. 
Yeah, I love that Duffy bit. They say, sent the defender in the stand with a little Cruyff, danced into the box. I mean, the, the double step over was great. Mm. Uh, we've all played Sunday League football. We've all tried a double step over and fell on his arse. Like, uh, he's, everyone's done it. And Duffy just does it with ease. I mean, he's in the penalty area. He's in the opposition penalty area. Let's be fair, even professionals like panic a little bit at this point and try and do something quickly with the ball so they don't lose it. Yeah, just He's the calmest man in the building, isn't he, in the opposition box? Yeah. He's just, he has no issue whatsoever. But yeah, it's, I mean, Sharp now, joint kind of goals from six-yard box with Neil Morpé in the league. Mm. So, yeah, it's just what he does, isn't it? it I, you almost can't say anything more. You, you want to, but you can't. This is just what he does, and we, we shouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I said on the last pod, and I, I don't mind standing by it, I was an advocate of Washington starting this game to see mm. if this plan B worked. Um, I, I don't mind the fact he did start. I don't mind the fact that Billy only got 45 because we're always going to create chances against Reading once we play better. Mm. So Sharp was always going to get a go. And and this is what he does. And we have to accept that when Billy plays, he might not always be that involved in the build-up. But if a ball rolls across the six-yard box, he's going to be there to tap it in. Yeah, definitely. Um, Just a shame he didn't know, do it against Leeds from that header. Exactly, but, yeah. But like I said, he's going to miss one or two, isn't he? But, you know, his conversion rate's still great. Yeah, it's yeah. a shame that header didn't go in, actually, because that was... I have been... I would say nicely, but um, I've been one of the more critical people of Fleck this year. Mm. Um, and I don't think, despite the fact he created the most chances in the game of any player, I don't think he was that good still. Yeah. I, 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 he did give he did give passes away. He looked a little bit lethargic as well, I thought, at times. He, you know, he was beat to second balls. He didn't look as dynamic. But he proved me wrong in terms of he had one or two quality moments. Um uh, he's he's got a wonderful left foot. He can clearly put in a great ball, a great pass. I just want to see him be a bit more driving and dynamic as he was at the end of last season. I, I still think that a rest would do him good at some point, but he seems mm. to be too, too integral to take out. Yeah, I think he's had a couple of good games recently, or I should say a couple of better games by his standards recently. Um, and he's been a bit unlucky as well. I mean, he's, that sharp chance, you know, that goes in, that's an assist. Uh, he had a cross from a very similar position against Brentford, which Leon somehow managed to head uh, head wide instead of in the back of the net. You know, he does that. Suddenly he's got three assists in the last three games and we're going, yeah. oh, here we, here we go. Uh, he's on a roll again. Um, just quickly, actually, if you've got time, what did you make of starting? Because uh, uh, I saw this from a few people and I don't actually know what the kind of answer is here, but... You know, what do you make of starting Lundstrom ahead of Coots in this particular game? Was it just... I mean, Lundstrom, I think, gives a bit more... Uh, I guess a bit more energy, if that's fair, or yeah. athleticism and strength, that kind of thing, you know, to get up and down the wing, which is not really Coots' game, I guess. He's more of that kind of deep-lying play. I'm not saying he's unathletic or anything like that. But, yeah, I just... Uh, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting one to an extent was it just a case of like uh, you ride the same team that did so well uh, against Brentford or yeah do you think it was like we want to have a slightly more defensive athletic presence than going with uh, a midfield of Coots Norwood and Fleck um, I, I think you've, I think you nailed it actually I, I think it was just a case of it worked at Brentford Lunny didn't do anything exceptional at Brentford but he also did absolutely nothing wrong he worked hard um, I think we said at Brentford he, he he might not have done much himself, but he definitely made Freeman's performance better mm. because of the work rate he put in, allowing Freeman to go. And it's probably no, admittedly, got took off at half time, but it's probably, you know, he gave George a good amount of protection. I just think it's a case of, again, 
Reading, the one thing that that midfield has got is it's got mobility and it's got a bit of dynamism. There's not mm. much creativity there, but there's, there's some running power there. That's not going to be Paul Coots's game for a long time. Um, he's still recovering from the injury. He just is. He's not mm. going to be 100% Paul Coots. I mean, he might never be again, but he's not going to be 100% Paul Coots until probably early next year. I think we all said that. Yeah. These are just minutes he's totting up now. And yes, he could, probably can start a game. He can probably give it a six, seven, maybe even an eight out of ten if he's at his best. But in terms of that match sharpness, that dynamism, what he had before, don't expect to see that until February. You know, he was out for a year. And if you're going to play a team that have got nothing else but running power, John Lundstrom's your man. Mm. He's the one who's going to compete physically and, and you know, with a, I wouldn't say he's dynamic, but he's got the strength. He's got a bit of running power himself and he likes to get stuck in and put a tackle in. So I just think that's all it was. I also think there's probably a case now where because of that Forest game, you might not see Norwood and Coots in the same team. Mm. Um, that is a very good point to bring up, actually. That did not work at all at Forest. And Forest are a decent team. You know, they're in the top six with us. But yeah, that was uh, yeah not not an encouraging sign, I think, that midfield three. Yeah, I, I just think that the only way you'd see that is if we changed formation. Mm. Um, you know, if we had a, a diamond and maybe played Norwood a bit further forward on the right, you know, when Coots played deep line, or maybe if we ever went to like a 4-2-3-1 type thing, they could play the double pivot of the mm. two holding ones. But I, I highly doubt you're going to see them in the same team as a starter. Yeah. Um, and, unless it is a case of we're, we're wanting to play Norwood further forward as a bit of a tactical variation because they are so similar. But it's not it's not for me their positions they take up. They're clever players. They could sort that out. It's more their style. Mm. You know, you, you can have two players who aren't fast, who aren't particularly dynamic. They can both put challenges in. We've, we've talked about that with Norwood and Coots did it previous, but it, it's, it's just too similar. And then you get in too much of a similar midfield and then it just becomes pass, 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 doesn't it? Yeah. Rather than maybe what Lundstrom does provide, which he didn't at Reading because he didn't get a chance, but he did at Brentford, which was he actually goes and joins it in the box. Yeah. You know, he links play high up. He can go um, and, and go and be that third man runner, which is something that neither of them two want to do. They want to be behind the ball. So, yeah, I just I just think that's, that's all it was, mate. To be quite frank, and I think that over the Christmas period we'll see Coops quite a lot because it'd be daft not to. We've got a squad and we need to use it over Christmas. It's where we faltered last year. Mm. We, we didn't have the ability to change the team around and form dropped off because the energy levels went. Yeah, it's fair enough. Uh, just, just finally, then, before we finish up, what uh, what team do you want to see against West Brom on Friday, or what changes from, or indeed any from this Reading game? It's a difficult one, isn't it? You, I mean, yeah, we're at home, so mm. naturally Wilder would do what he does, and you would assume we're going to go for it because that's what we do. So I'm assuming that Duffy will be back in. I think that was the plan. Rest him, all right, 45 minutes, but it's still better than 70 or 90. You know, he'll play. For, mm. for Lundstrom, most likely. So it'll be Norwood, Fleck, Duffy, that, that midfield three we know. I would imagine Sharp will play Yeah, um, with McGoldrick um, because McGoldrick's that link-up man. You're never going to see Sharp and Washington in the same team, are you? Um, no, very unlikely, unless we're three up front or something chasing the game. Yeah, just from a physicality perspective, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, West Brom won't come and sit back either. Mm. They just won't. They can't. Quite simply, they can't. They've got big defenders who can head and clear a ball, but other than that, they get done down the side for pace a lot. So they're going to come and play because that's what they do and they're attacking. So it's almost a game where you could see value in Washington playing to exploit spaces, but you can't not play Billy when he's... This is what Billy does. He scores a goal and he gets on a run, doesn't he? Mm. So I'm, you know. I'm very interested to see what Wilder does here because logic is saying play Washington in this game. 
Yeah. To, to me, anyway, personal logic. But uh, I guess the other, it's kind of like 51-49 in terms of which way I'm leaning there. Because, yeah, you play sharp, it gets one chance, it's going to be a goal most times. Yeah. That. And there is, yeah. Uh, there, there has to be merit now into this whole, every time Billy Sharp scores, we win thing. It, <laughs> it sounds silly, but it, it's been that many games. There's clearly merit to this. You know? There's something <laughs> about it. So why would you not play the player who is our biggest goal threat and who, when he scores, we seem to win? it's an omen rather than anything statistical, but it's a thing. And I, I just think at home, we're going to play sharp, aren't we? We're going to play sharp and Duffy. Yeah. We're going to go, we're going to go free, you know, that, that, that normal three, four, one, two, and we're going to go on the front foot and have a right good go. And it'll probably be like a really great game that we lose one nil or something. Because <laughs> yes. that's what happens in big games with us. Yeah, but, I've yeah. seen this before. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I get the, um, I get the need to manage Sharp's minutes. We've talked about this before, you know, so you get the most out of those minutes. You know, he's, he can play at, a, at this peak goal scorer, goal poacher level through the whole season. And, you know, Reading away is one of those games where you can sort of say like, all right, we're going to leave you on the bench for this one, Billy, and we'll bring you on if uh, if we need that goal. But yeah, West, West Brom at home is probably uh, all chips into the middle kind of game, isn't it? You know, exactly. Their best team against our best team. And uh, let's see what happens. And, yeah, I don't, I'm. I'm really, uh, as I say, I'm really excited about this one because I kind of feel, I kind of feel we are the underdogs. I know we're actually above them in the league, but you know they've come down from the Premier League. the The individual quality of their players is better than ours, I would say, at least from an attacking point of view. Uh, I don't know if I'm being unfair there, but you know, I mean, no, you're right. If you ask, if you asked a hundred football fans, you know, who's the better striker out of McGoldrick and uh, Dwight Gale, I imagine. 95 of them at least would say uh, Dwight Gale and then yeah you're lobbing people like Harvey Barnes or as you say will probably be in England squads within a year or so they are extremely talented so it feels like I don't know it just feels like set up you know Bramall Lane under lights Friday night hopefully have a few good few beers beforehand against the team where the pressure is not really on us they're going to come and attack so it won't be like the Wednesday game for example you know I don't know if they'll be able to press us as well as Leeds did and yeah, it's one of them where it's, it, it feels a little bit like a free hit to me. I know it'll still be annoying if we don't uh, don't beat a, t- a top six team yet again. But you know, it feels a bit like the Villa game, I guess, where they came in. I looked at the Villa team before and I was like, oh my word, you know, so many good players there. And this is before they signed uh, Abraham and Balassi, actually. And then we proceeded to dismantle them over the next kind of 50 minutes and just left them completely shell-shocked. And I'm not saying we're going to win 4-1 on Friday, but you know, going into the game, I have the same kind of feeling of like, you know, this is going to be really hard and a bit like a cup tie almost, you know, this sort of uh, the, the classic going up against the Premier League team kind of thing. I don't know if I'm doffing my cap too much to West Brom here, but this no, is no, just no. My, my personal stance as a fan, I guess. I kind of... No. I kind of expect us to lose on Friday because I think that they have better quality, individual quality than us, I suppose. Yeah, and no, so- I, I, that's completely fair. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, you know, going to the game more with hope than expectation, if you will. Um, yeah. I, I would be happy now if you gave me a draw. Yeah. Put it that way. I, I think a draw is a great result going into then Ipswich and Derby and Blackburn at home. Yeah. Uh, that for me would set us up perfectly. But, there is this thing now where, and it is definitely a thing. You know, we can't deny it. We don't seem to be the big teams in the top six at home. Mm, um, Norwich. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Aston Villa in a week's time. 
Possibly, yeah. <laughs> but they were. I mean, we have to be honest. I know what you were, mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, they were two very different teams at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, as the season goes on, it happened last year, and we just need to bust that narrative. I think just so that it goes. You know, just like the Sky narrative's gone now, we ju- we just need to just win a very good top six team, beat them at home, and then if we can make you know Bramalena Fortress against top six teams, then it doesn't really matter what we do away. Mm. You know, in terms of games against them, we can lose two or three nil. It doesn't really matter because we tend to beat the teams twelfth and below. Yeah, definitely. And if we beat the other teams at home, we'll be fine. You know, what about so what about when we beat Bolton, mate? They were third in the league, and we we hammered them. Yeah, I mean... Just scroll, yeah. scroll, scroll to find Bolton on this league table now. Oh, look, it turns out oh, they're terrible yeah. after all. Absolutely useless, as per numbers predicted, but never mind. <laughs> exactly. Num- numbers, numbers know nothing, do they? I mean, just quickly, on West Brom, actually, they're away from just last four games. One, two, lost two. So, mm. yeah, last eight games away from home, they're ninth. They've won three, lost three, drawn two. They're not the greatest away team in the league. So... You know, there is teams who have been beaten West Brom, like you rightly pointed out. Um, mm. And the final thing I did see on Friday when I watched them play, they seem to have zero creativity from the middle. Hmm. Like, their midfield of Gareth Barry and Jake and Livermore. Livermore isn't it? The, yeah. the most creative. It's very combative and it'll sit nice and tight. Um, you know, they might man Mark Duffy, for example, but that that could be something. And that's, again, mm. where Fleck needs to come up and have his big game. You know, yeah. if a team's going to sit like Leeds did and, and sit on Mark Duffy... That's where you need Fleck and Norwood. You know, they they need to be the driving forces and kind of pin them back and, and play the passes that, that Duffy does. So I'm excited. It'll be a good game. Yeah, absolutely. All right, mate, let's leave it there. Very much looking forward to that one. You've got uh, have you got anything to plug? Any uh, any new articles, what you have written? No, I was gonna write something on Reading, but simply because of West Brom and the kind of hoo-ha that might come around from that result, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait, and, and we will write something after the West Brom game. One of us will write something. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. Cool. All right, buddy. Have a good day. Thanks for talking to me, as always. And, uh, yeah, good to be back to winning ways. Uh, you know, We had to wait a whole a whole one game before United won another game. <laughs> you know, it's hard life being a blade at the minute, isn't it? <laughs> But, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, when I next speak to you, we will have yet another win, and this time against a actual top six team that isn't Norwich or Aston Villa. Oh, Aston Villa in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot. All right, mate. See you now. Cheers. Bye bye. 